mean, first of all, man, I just want to thank you for for being here. I know how busy you are and how things are. And I also know how important scheduling is. So that's why <laughs> you're the one that taught me that. And that's why I had to send that calendar invite. And that's been a great thing for me moving forward. Uh, well, start off, Danny. Who is uh, Danny today? Uh, Danny today is a father of two. So I have a about a four-year-old son and a two-month-old daughter. Actually, she turned two months today. Nice. Um, and uh, and then I am a, a husband to Amanda, who was once in the real estate business and hopefully should be coming back. Um, you know, I'm a world traveler and, um, uh, you know, a guy who desperately wants to get out of the rat race. <laughs> that's, that's who I am today. I mean, that's a great segue to, you mentioned world traveler. And I wanted to always dive into that topic because you've, you're an advocate of traveling and you've always wanted, you've always shared your experience of do this at least once in your life and traveling. What, what was that trip that made you feel that way? Where it was like, oh yeah, everyone should experience this kind of travel. Well, it started when I chased Amanda to Thailand. She was an English teacher in, uh, <laughs> in Thailand. And I basically bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok. I sold everything I had and I moved out there for a few months. And her and, her and I lived in this remote village uh, in Thailand uh, for about four months. And then her and I went and traveled um, another two months uh, and then we came home. And that was the trip that inspired the next trip, which came 12 months later, her and I saved up uh, $29,000 just serving tables. And she was a restaurant manager and I was like bartending serving tables. And um, yeah, we saved up uh, 29 grand and bought another one-way ticket to Asia. This time it was to Shanghai. And uh, from there on, we traveled for about 16 months straight uh, through many different countries. And um, I call it long-term travel. I would never call it a vacation because it, 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 it's something that most people have never experienced where there's no itinerary. You don't know where you're going. Every guest house is your next stop. You're learning as you're traveling, you know, what to do, what not to do. It's a much more uh, local and mm -hmm. kind of cult cultural experience. Um, and, you know, it, it's a very humbling experience. Often you're you're eating with people who have much, much, much less, quote unquote, less than you do um, in America. And, you know, when I came home from that trip, I, uh, I, I actually was reverse culture shocked when I came back to America, um, where I just felt like we were just, we just had so much, almost too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but we just take so much for granted here. You know, I mean, just the just the bathrooms that we have here compared to the bathrooms that I spent most of my time in when I was traveling through Asia. Um, you know, they're just different. And, and you know, we live in a, a, a world of abundance here, overabundance here in America. And, you know, I, I blame travel for how I feel now about the rat race circling back to that. And, uh, and basically getting out of it. So um, it was that trip that kind of opened my eyes to travel, long-term travel, and 
uh, and, and of course the opportunities that we really have here in America. That's amazing that you you did for one 16 months straight of just being not home, being home, being just door to door, eating like you said, strangers and the different cultures. I actually experienced the opposite of being here and then moving back to the Philippines for college. And I, I was culture shocked there of like, wow, I had it good back in the States in comparison to what we have here. This is ridiculous. And for you to just be the opposite for 16 months and coming home and you're like, wow, we, we have too much. We have too much. And then did you go back to where you started after a 16 month trip, going back to bartending, Amanda going back to um, being a manager. It was that, or that's when your real estate started. Yeah, so I came back and spent another two or three years um, in the restaurant industry. I forget exactly how long, but uh, you know, it definitely was always on my heart. You know, you you fall back into old habits pretty quick, and mm. um, fortunately. For me, you know, travel was always on my heart and I always wanted to find a way to get back to it. And, you know, it, it was because of my old man that basically he said, hey, you know, you can crush it real estate. You can have anything you want. Um, go get into it. Basically pushed me into it. And, uh, and that was seven years ago. Seven years ago. What was that fucking moment then where you decided to just like, you know what, I quit and um, I'm going to go to real estate. I know your old man, you know, had some say into it, but did you always want it to be in real estate or just like, I'm done doing this bartending thing and I just want to get into something different? Uh, yeah, I never, I never really thought I was going to get into real estate, even though my dad was in the industry. Uh, he wasn't in the sales industry, he's in the building industry, but uh, um. I never thought I was going to get into it until he said, you know, look into it. And, and I always tell this whenever I'm on podcasts, but I, I always say he, he, he told me to go to 10 open houses and um, he said, go to 10 open houses and tell me you can't beat those guys. And the way he framed it was tell me you can't beat those guys. And I'm super competitive. And I was even very competitive in the bartending world. And when I heard, can you beat those guys? I went to 10 open houses and, um, not impressed was like an understatement <laughs> guys and so that's what inspired me to go get my license and it's still even from that moment it took me about a year to get licensed um, and then and then even after i was licensed it took me another year to get full time uh because i was working so many jobs just trying to stay afloat and um yeah so about it about a two-year journey from the moment that I said, hey, let's get into real estate to the moment that I was actually in real estate full-time. I'm glad you brought that up too, because I know I've shared with you my experience of the instability and risk of going full-time with real estate. And it took you about a year to really just go full-time. Now, did you have that kind of financial security before jumping into it or just like, I'm putting way too much time on other jobs. If I'm putting the same amount of effort to real estate, I'm going to make it. Yeah. So I was flat broke. I was actually living with my mom. My, my now wife and I were living with my mom. Uh, actually my sister was living there with her fiance. 
I think two children at the time, me, my sister, uh, and a house full of dogs. And that was up in Marin. And uh, this, was, this was as we were like recovering from coming home from traveling. We were flat broke. And um, uh, I, I, had, I was working, but you know, I didn't have enough money to move out on my own. So um, I found a way to build a schedule around real estate. And so that's something that I tell a lot of new agents. I say, look, if you really want to do this and you have to stay afloat, you can't do it with a nine to five job. You know, you have to find a job that you can work around real estate. And actually you're, you're a great example, you know, being a wedding photographer or a photographer in general is a really great uh, supplement. I, I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's great. It's good enough because you can work around a real estate schedule. And that's why I, you know, stayed bartending and uh, became a lifted Uber driver was uh, just to work around that schedule. So in the mornings, I would lift an Uber drive. I'd get down to Palo Alto. I'd lead generate. I'd uh, go to the classes, do the education. And then I would lift an Uber back home. And then I would bartend. And I did that for about a year, that, that exact schedule. Wow. That's, that's a whole lot of work. I'm trying to calculate in my head, I'm like, what, what kind of hour did you have to even have time for yourself? And it's a... It's a question that I've always wanted to ask you is being now a husband, a father of two, and having a growing team in the Bay Area in a competitive state too, what is your time like? How do you balance that? And I know you spoke to us about it of making the calendar and putting your loved ones first and then working around it. But how do you find time to do all that? Especially at where you are now in your stage of a businessman your, your team is growing, right? So there's a lot of attention being pulled to you. How do you manage that? There's two really big things. Number one, I wake up earlier than everybody else. Uh, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, only the people who are above my level or at my level are, are really waking up where I wake up. You just see it, right? Like my, my friends and I in the industry will be texting each other at five in the morning. Right? We'll be talking about whatever we're talking about. It doesn't matter. The whole point is we get to bullshit. We get to answer emails. We get to do all this stuff well before most of our competition is even awake. So uh, first thing is you just wake up earlier, you know, which takes an inner fire to do that, right? As an entrepreneur, you don't have a boss telling you to be anywhere at any given time. So you are your alarm clock and, um, and, and, I, I almost say someone's success could be measured off off the time they wake up because you kind of see how much they really want it. The mm -hmm. more you want it, the more you want to wake up earlier and get after it. So I'd say um, what time you wake up is super important. And then uh, saying no, you know, saying no to bullshit and saying no to bad clients, saying no to agents who, um, you know, don't want to do it for themselves. You know, I, I can't give time to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Um, at this point in my life and it's not because I'm mean it's just because I've reframed my mind to I want to give my time to the people who deserve it right if I'm giving time to somebody who isn't willing to put in the work I'm taking time away from somebody who is and that's the way you have to look at it you know and, and that's the way you have to look at your clients as well as a real estate agent you have to look at it like hey if I'm spending all this time with the buyer who's 
discounting my commissions, who's not realistic, who's not listening to my counsel, how many other buyers who are willing to work with me, you know, at a high level, how many of those people are, are on the sideline because of it? I think it's a really important thing for agents to understand is where you're putting your time and how it's taking time away from others, uh, you know, by being in the wrong place. That's true. That's true. And I you spoke to us about that many times of prioritizing your time properly. All right. And how long did it take you to get to that point? And you, you started seven years ago. How long, when, when was it where you're like, when it got that mindset? I never had a Danny beating me over the head with a stick. Um, I really didn't. Uh, I had coaches, but they were all too nice to me. You know, they were all like, oh, you're doing great. Oh, you're crushing it. You know, no one ever really beat me over the head the way I beat over the agents on my team. Beat over their head. I don't know how you said it. Uh, but but <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm loving, but I'm also, I, I'm also very uh, defensive towards the agents on my team's goals, right? So if somebody tells me they want to make a hundred grand and they have a family to support, like if I'm not going to be real with them and not going to tell them, Hey, this is what you need to do. Then I'm not the right person for the job because too many people fail in this business because they don't, there, nobody keeps it real with them. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, it probably took me about four years in the business. Wow. Uh, to really understand that concept at a, at a super deep level and the moment you understand that concept the moment you start firing clients and and taking people on that you that that really respect you as a as a real estate uh professional you know we're not door openers right we're real estate professionals and, and that's how we need to be treated agreed agreed and you mentioned no there was no danny beating over your head on all this but who was that individual that got there of like, I'm listening to this guy. You said you had too many coaches that was nice. So who was that person that was not nice and was straight with you? Wow, great question, buddy. You're getting good at this podcast thing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't think very many people got through to me in, in the world of real estate in terms of leadership. I'm not very coachable, unfortunately. And I know that's probably a drunk monkey. Someone's going to hear that and text me or call me and say, you are coachable. Um, but truthfully, I think the one person who moved the needle enough for me was Mark Madison. And that was just about, I don't know, a year, year and a half. Oh, I think, and I just think showing I lost, me that, hey, this I lost your yeah. So I think it was Mark Pattison, and I think it was about 18 months ago where he really just opened up what he was doing, and it was just, there's just no secret sauce to this business, you know? And I think we put too much emphasis on, uh, you know, this magic silver bullet, and, and there just is none. There just is no silver bullet. Mm. And I think by him opening up his playbook for me, uh, and I think me doing the same for others, I, I think has catapulted myself and, and those same people who are underneath us, you know, further because it's just, it's just transparent, you know? Yep. And then I know you, you joined forces with him with Porchlight. I actually wanted to ask you at what point was it where 
you wanted to start a team because from where you started uh, being in the restaurant industry, being a bartender, that's a solo thing. Being a Lyft Uber driver, that's a solo thing. Most real estate agents, that's a solo thing. And you saying you're not being, you're not coachable. Now, how did you get to that point of, I want to build a team and I want to coach these agents? How did those two came about of like starting your own? Um, I, I actually started a team called Homes by Burgess when I was about two years into the business. And it's because Keller Williams, honestly, Keller Williams deserves a lot of credit, credit uh, to everything that I've done, which in my opinion, isn't very much yet, but um, for, for what I have, where I have come from to where I am now, I owe a lot to Keller Williams, uh, their coaching and their training and their classes, but they always preached, you know, leads, listings, leverage in a triangle. And that's kind of your base to your business. Mm. And if you can have listings, then you can have control of your time. And if you can have leads, then you can create leverage. Mm. And by creating leverage, you can create a foundation to a business. And if you take all of those things and you keep building it out, building it out, building it out, eventually you have to, you need a team, right? Mm -hmm. And so then the whole goal of the team, like let's pretend the team isn't me. Let's pretend it's a thing. The whole point of the thing is to allow agents to have more time for themselves sell more real estate, have less of an overhead, and then in turn be more profitable than they would be on their own. Mm -hmm. So the whole goal is to create an environment where an agent doesn't have to spend 60 hours a week in the business to make half a million dollars, True. right? That's the whole goal. And then they have no overhead. And, and so there's a, a lot less risk for them. And, and so that's what a team is. And it was because Keller Williams, you know, the, the millionaire real estate agent book, MREA. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that was the inspiration. And it's, it's weird how you, you, you mentioned there's no overheads for these agents. Now that's a lot of financial responsibility in regards to you, to your family, your business, these agents, right? What quality of agents, and that, that means you're investing into these agents. What qualities are you looking for? And there's a vast majority in our industry of probably like 10,000 in one neighborhood. What qualities are you looking for in agents? I mean, I've found that the number one most important trait for anyone trying to grow a team is, um, a, they call it the economic driver, mm -hmm. which means, hey, do they need to succeed? Because if the agent doesn't need to succeed, they're not gonna succeed because it's just too hard. So, you know, I'll use your cousin as an example, Brian, um, you know, he has two kids and one on the way, like he has to succeed. Yep. Right. And, um, and so that's a huge driver for him. I had an internal flame burning, right. Um, and, and that always drove me, um, and, and I've just found that the people who don't actually need to succeed, uh, they just usually don't. And so the number one factor is an economic factor, which is, hey, they have to succeed, right? And I've always said to everyone, why don't you set an appointment today? Like, oh, I couldn't because X, Y, Z. And then I get a little creepy on them. I say, hey, if someone had a gun to your head right now and said, I'm going to kill you unless you set an appointment today, do you think you'll set an appointment? 
and every yeah. single time they say yes. And so it's this driver, right, that some people have and some people don't, and some have it internally, but most actually need something. Like they need, they need the desperation. And um, so that's the number one thing. You know, you look for the economic factor, and then right behind that is integrity. You know, do you do the right thing when no one is looking? Mm. Uh, that that's by far and away something that I look for in the agents and the people who have even been gray in my life I've tried to cut them out as fast as I can based on experience of being with you you hold a ton of accountability to each other and that's something that I hold very dear and close to me is staying accountable not only to yourself but to each other who was accountable for you um, you know, I, I don't really have an accountability partner uh, to an extent, um, but I do have like inside my brain, I almost have like a ticking uh, clock where um, where I know where my goals kind of need to be and I know when I'm behind them. Mm-hmm. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I, I'm not saying I don't need uh, accountability partner because I do. Um, I just don't have one at the same level and I probably need one. Um, but for, for the majority of it, it's my goals, my goals that I write down every day. That's what keeps me accountable. Great, man. I mean, Hey, you, you've always been accountable in my head every single time about to do something. And I was telling, um, Alex this where your teachings and your wise wisdom advices still carries on to what I do today only because it's engraved and that's I'm, I'm forever grateful for that I don't think I ever told you that actually where um what you taught me early on it's still with me it didn't stop it's just still with me 